one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Perigo Gorman. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very bullshit sand and dirt, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the first shed, this is Trapping Today. Jeremiah Wood here. Good to have you guys on. Great to be here. Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z. Com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotsboros has a full line of trapping supplies, traps and snares. They have a total, complete line of baits and lures. They have books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Go to Cotsboros. We're also brought to you by OnX. Use the Hunt app on your phone to turn your phone into a GPS. Whether you're hunting, trapping, fishing, out on the farm, on X is an incredible app. You're going to use it for so many different things. And it's incredible to me how many of you have actually used this and have uh, have subscribed and uh, started up your OnX subscriptions and use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to save 20% off. So every quarter I get a check from OnX, and that number is based on the number of you guys that have subscribed and use that 20% discount, the promo code TRAP, at onxmaps.com and I'm continually amazed by how many people actually use that so it's uh, it it just kind of um, proves the point that it, it is just a really good product and uh, a lot of people you can get on there and use the free trial but if you use the free trial I pretty much guarantee you're going to end up subscribing um, and if you want to do that and save a little money remember to use that promo code okay so in Tonight's episode, we're going to get into uh, the topic of non-target catches. And we're also streaming live on YouTube in this episode as well. So I'm going to be interrupted a little bit because I'll probably, if we get people in on the chat, I'm probably going to go ahead and uh, and, and interact back and forth with the chat a little bit. But uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about non-target catches. Then I'm going to go into some emails with some uh, some advice to some beginner trappers that have emailed me recently. And we'll get into that as well. Um, hey, Trapping with Gavin, what is up? Uh, thank you for listening in. Um, anyone else in the chat, feel free to say hi. All right. So the reason that this topic came up with non-target catches, it's something that we as trappers are criticized. Uh, well, the anti-trapping community is 
constantly beating the drum um, about things about trapping that are they don't like. And most of the time, the arguments they're making are complete lies and falsehoods. And one of these arguments that they make to try to uh, turn the tide against trapping in the, the public is the idea of non-target catches. And so the argument is, well, traps, they say that traps are indiscriminate and trappers catch all kinds of different species of non-targets and they kill all these other species while they're trapping. And so the the argument actually, you know, it it is repeated continually and it's incredibly frustrating for us as trappers especially those who have a lot of experience trapping and and understand that the argument is not true but how do you how do you speak to people that don't have experience trapping about non-target catches and i learned a little bit recently because i had uh i did an interview this week with a guy who is a freelance writer and he is working on a story in it's going to be in a major hunting magazine which i i probably can't talk about yet but uh after it's it's out and published i'll I'll talk about it with you guys but um they're doing a special on trapping and they're going to have a bunch of trapping articles and stories and his articles is focused on the myths around trapping so the myths the, the various myths that people spread about trapping that really aren't true. And he really wanted to dig into this non-target catch thing. So we had a discussion. I think we talked for like an hour, hour and a half about this. And it was really interesting. After I got done, I thought, well, I probably ought to do a little podcast episode about this because I think a lot of people could benefit from uh, this whole conversation that that was going on between us and this guy he knew just a little bit about trapping but not enough to where there are a lot of things that I was talking about that I kind of needed to step back a little bit and explain in order to help him better understand what was actually going on Um, but basically the idea is uh, what is the reality around non-target catches on the trap line and as trappers you know how do we deal with that so first we probably ought to talk about what a non-target catch is uh trapping with gavin says i don't like anti-trappers yeah yeah well join the club um a non-target catch is to me it's any animal that you do not plan have a reasonable expectation to catch when you're setting a trap Um, if you are trapping for coyotes and you catch a fox a fox is not a non-target catch in a coyote trap because if you're trapping for coyotes you're trapping for fox and you should have that expectation that you're trapping for coyotes and fox because the two species are almost identical and the, the what catches a coyote is going to catch a fox. And we'll get into that a little bit more when we get get into the, the whole broader non-target discussion. But so that wouldn't be a non-target. But if you're trapping for fox or for fox or coyotes 
and you catch a dog, somebody's domestic dog, that is, in my opinion, that is a non-target because you did not intend to catch that dog. And so uh, non-targets can range from a domestic dog or cat all the way to a squirrel or a rabbit um, and everywhere in between. So the, I guess, I guess the first, the first thing I want to talk about is the myths around non-targets. And I, I would say in general, the widely held anti-trapping community believes that these traps are set out and just about anything that walks by is going to get caught in them and it's going to kill or destroy the animal and, and everything is the world is falling, the sky is falling and everything is a disaster. In reality, if I actually sit down and think, which I actually, I did when I did this interview, think about the species that could be caught, could be reasonably expected to be caught in my traps. The majority of the species that could be caught in those traps are legal fur-bearing species. And so the number of non-targets is actually quite minor in relation to the overall species that can be caught in those traps and, and is caught in those traps. And so just kind of a, a little myth buster, hey, we don't catch a pile of non-targets like people think we do. Now, that being said, we get that out of the way, we do catch non-target animals. This is unavoidable. This is a reality in trapping that we need to accept and deal with and talk about. Because when you set a trap, yes, there always is the possibility of another animal getting caught in it, an animal that is not your target species. And so, uh, the way that I approach the non-target issue is kind of two different roads. One, how do we avoid catching non-target species? And two, where catching a non-target is not avoidable, how do we deal with that catch? And so I think we will start with the avoidance. How do we avoid catching non-target species? Um, I'm going to check out the chat. Uh, John Paparella says, my neighbor's cat. Yeah. Hey, crusty one. What's up? Colin Smith. Is it either land or water trapping? That makes a big difference, Colin. We're going to get into that. Okay. So, um, number one, uh, when, you're, when you're talking about avoiding, and, and guys that are in the chat that are listening in, feel free to uh, to write in any uh, methods that you guys use to avoid catching non-target species. Um, hit the thumbs up too, if you don't mind. We'll get a, let's get a few more people in the chat here. Um, I should probably hit my own thumbs up. I don't know if I can do that from here. No, I can't. Okay, so, uh, but but yeah, write that, in, throw that in the chat if you have any, any specific trapping situations and things that you do to avoid non-targets. Um, but the first thing overall, whether you're uh, water trapping or land trapping, is to avoid setting in high traffic areas where uh, you are more likely to catch a non-target animal. And when we're talking to high traffic areas, I'm talking about places where, uh, I'm talking about non-target catches that involve like domestic animals. So somebody's dog or somebody's cat. Don't set 
a coyote trap at a trailhead on a popular hiking trail. Some people do that. Um, people who do that are typically not very experienced trappers and they haven't been through this process or they don't understand what they're getting into, but please avoid doing that. That's uh, a very easy way to avoid uh, non-targets and avoid issues with anti-trapping community. Um, when we're setting uh, water sets, trapping spots, cages help with non-targets. For me, I could specifically aim for bobcats with cages. That's right, trapping spots. Um, of course, cages are not always uh, feasible for everybody to trap in a lot of situations, but that's a good idea. Um, trapping with Gavin, get different lure. Um, we'll talk about that, Gavin. I don't think that's very effective, um, but, but we'll discuss it a little further. Um, when you're water trapping, one of the things that you want to do is, or, well, let's, let's talk just generally. One of the big things that we need to define when we're talking about non-target catches is what that trap's going to do when it catches the animal. And what I had to describe here when I did this interview was we have really two different types of traps um, in, in our you know, trapping world. We have lethal traps and non-lethal traps. So our body grips or certain types of snares are going to be lethal and our foothold traps are going to be non-lethal. So we need to be uh, thinking in terms of whether whether those are lethal or non-lethal sets and how we're going to deal with them. And if you're setting a body grip trap that is going to be lethal, you need to be setting that either in the water or up in the trees. You cannot be setting a body grip trap where it's going to be likely to catch somebody's dog and kill it. And that that is something that um, I want to just a quick step back here. I want to mention that all states are different. Each state has its own different regulations on trapping, but the vast majority, almost every state that I'm aware of, if there is a potential in that state for you to catch um, a non-target animal with a body grip trap that's going to potentially kill somebody's pet, that is illegal. So the state that I live in and almost every state I can think of. There's only one, maybe two states that might be an exception. Um, but every other state, if if you're setting a body grip trap that is large, like a 330 body grip trap, a conibear that can is used for beaver or otter, that needs to be set either partially submerged or completely submerged in water. Other body grip traps, like a 220 or a 160 that could kill someone's dog, those need to be set either underwater or up in the trees a certain distance up off the ground. And so by law, we avoid the potential to kill somebody's animal, somebody's pet um, through a non-target catch. Now, people might think, well, okay, that's fine. You're not going to kill somebody's pet, but you're killing all these other non-target catches with these indiscriminate traps. Okay, so let's think about that. And and we're talking about body grip traps. Let's say we're setting body grip traps in the water. What species are we going to catch in water sets with, with body grip traps? Beaver, otter, muskrat, mink. Those are the four species that you're most likely to catch in body grip traps. Well, those four species, four species are all legal fur bear species 
in pretty much all states in the country. Otter, some states don't have open otter seasons, but most do. Um, and so I'm trying to think, and I, I've tried to think of what other species would be in or under the water that could be caught as a non-target. And it's really, I'm really not getting anything. And, you know, the, the anti-trapping crab would be hard pressed to find a species that you catch in the water that would be a non-target. You might catch a fish. Someone's fish might swim through. Um, I caught a snapping turtle once, <laughs> so it's that's possible. But we're we're basically talking about um, very very minimal to no chance of catching non-targets when we're water trapping. How about up in the trees? What are you going to catch when you're trapping up in the trees? So you say you're you're setting up at the trees. You're probably trapping for Martin or Martin and Fisher, for the most part. You might be trapping weasels. Uh, what else are you going to catch? You might catch a squirrel. Um, you could catch a bobcat or a lynx, potentially, if the situation is just perfect up in the trees. They might climb trees. Uh, put states like Maine, where we can't catch lynx, um, we have specific laws that don't allow us to, to do that. Uh, but but really, again, you're, you're not going to catch an animal that is not a legal fur-bearing species. So, um, so the non-targets... By pretty much utilizing uh, the, you know, common sense in terms of where we set and how we make the sets, we're not going to catch those animals. Um, in the water trapping, when you're trapping beaver, some states you can't catch otter or they're really concerned about the otter populations. There are some things you can do to minimize the catch of otter while you're beaver trapping. You're setting your body grip traps. You can set your triggers way off to the side of that 330. A beaver's going to trip it. An otter's going to likely slither through. You're still potentially going to catch an otter, but you're going to minimize that chance uh, of catching uh, that non, non-target non otter. But that's, again, going back to the fact that if you're beaver trapping and you catch an otter, was it really a non-target? I mean, their species are both expected to be caught in those same types of sets. Let's look at the chats. Um, trapping with Gavin trapping spots. You know, dispatch video. Um, dispatch video. I don't know what you're talking about, Gavin. Um, I a dispatch video. I'm not going to show dispatch of an animal on video. I don't think that's appropriate. But um, Colin Smith, I've caught a Cisco or near Beaver Dam. Yeah, yeah. So, so whitefish, a Cisco. Um, I've seen people catch um like a trout big big brook trout in a, a 330 body grip so but it's, it's very rare okay so um in, in water sets that's pretty easy up in the trees is pretty easy what are other ways that we can avoid catching non-targets well one of the big things is a revolutionary new type of trap that um well, it's not that new anymore, but it's you know rel- it's it's relatively new. Some people don't really use these, but they're dog-proof traps. So the dog-proof trap is a trap that was specifically designed to catch raccoons. And the way the trap is designed, it's essentially um, a box that an animal with with bait inside and a trigger, and the animal has to stick its paw inside that box through a narrow hole to grab the bait which trips sets off the trigger and gets the animal caught 
And so the only animals that can get caught in those dog-proof traps are the animals that have the dexterity to stick their hand in that hole and finger through and grab the bait. The only animals with that dexterity are raccoons, and some cases opossums and skunks, very rarely. So the dog-proof trap is pretty bulletproof in terms of avoiding non-targets. And that trap has been uh, a game changer for a lot of people who want to trap raccoons in areas with high foot traffic, high animal traffic, near homes, near trails. Uh, the DP, or dog proof, or DP as we call it, is incredibly effective at avoiding non-targets. The only problem is we can't catch foxes and coyotes with the dog proof trap. But it's great for the situations that it's intended for. So that's another way. Talk about uh, lure, bait, and urine. So there are... Um, there are situations where people say that you can avoid certain species with certain types of lure, certain types of bait, certain types of urine. Uh, I think for the most part, those are not effect. Those methods are not effective enough to even talk about. Uh, people say that if you use wolf urine at a set, you're gonna dogs are gonna be afraid of it. And they're going to avoid the set. People say if you use coyote urine, you're not going to get foxes. Um, if you use certain types of lure, certain animals are going to avoid it. It just doesn't work, guys. Um, th these animals are predators, all of them. The animals that we're trapping on land. And they're going to be attracted to a lot of different things. And they're going to be very curious about what animal might have potentially left a certain amount of sign, whether it's a gland lure or urine, you're emulating an, animal's, an animal leaving sign at a set, and they're going to be curious about it. You stick coyote pee on a rock, put a trap next to it, the first dog that walks by that is going to go right to that rock, smell that pee, and it's going to want to pee on that rock. It just happens. There's no way to avoid that. So um, that that's one thing when you're talking about us communicating with non-trapping community about all of this. I'm not going to BS people and try to pretend that we have these magic methods that we can avoid catching a dog in a coyote trap because it's not going to happen. There are other, there are certain animals we can avoid catching in a coyote trap, but not a dog. Um, Colin Smith, distance for sure on where civilization won't bother you for domestics. Other than that, it's a gamble, I'm guessing, just experience. Rusty Parker, what are your thoughts of the trap? Has to be covered. Con Smith and sizes of hold or conibear. Okay, I don't fully understand some of those questions, but I'm going to try. Um, Colin, yeah, for sure. Um, distance from civilization will help you a lot. If you're in the interior of Alaska and you're 150 miles from the nearest town, then you're not going to have to worry about catching somebody's dog, unless maybe worry about a sled dog but if there's someone's riding, running sled dogs up there uh, pretty sure that they know how to release a sled dog from a trap um, Rusty Parker what are your thoughts on if the trap has to be covered um, you're probably going to be covering uh, forgive me Rusty if I don't fully understand your question but you're probably going to be tr covering any trap that you're going to try to catch fox and coyotes with. Uh, if you want to trap, if you're trapping, say, for Martin or Fisher or Bobcat, 
um, you can leave a fully exposed trap without covering it and those animals will step on traps without any question. Um, a domestic dog may be less likely to step on a, a fully exposed trap, but I really don't know. I haven't experienced that. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about how to avoid animals in non-target animals in traps, but and, and we talked about the small number of animals that are actually non-target. So, you know, overall, we're, we're pretty much minimizing the... We have a very small number of animals that are actually going to be non-targets caught in our traps and are going to cause an, a problem. But we know as trappers that there are certain animals that are going to be caught as non-targets in our traps, and there's no way to avoid that. So the big question that comes out of that is, okay, how do we deal with those non-target catches? So the the biggest thing that I see here is if you're trapping for coyotes or fox, you're going to catch domestic dogs. Um, there's just no way around that. Um, if dogs are in the area, if they're, say, roaming free, they may be off-leash. They may be illegally running off-leash. The owner may be running him, and they don't have a choice, or they have a choice. They don't, they don't act responsibly, and they're not following the law, um, and they let their dog off leash. This happens all the time. People do not obey leash laws. People don't care about leash laws. Okay, let's say that's the case, and the dog, the dog's going to get caught in a trap. So, the other thing is. If you're coyote trapping, you're potentially going to catch lynx. There, and in a place like Maine, lynx are not legal to be kept. So they all have to be released. You have to call the state. You have to get a biologist in. They have to take care of the animal, make sure it's not injured, and so on. There are certain methods you can use to avoid that. You can avoid uh, catching lynx, but you're always going to have, no matter what you do, you're going to have a, a chance of catching lynx if you have enough traps out there. You're going to catch a dog if you have enough traps out there. So the big thing that we can do as trappers when you get into that situation is making sure that the collateral damage of catching those non-target animals is minimized. And so we can do that a number of different ways. Number one, we can check our traps as often as possible. The, the more often we check our traps, the quicker we can get to a non-target animal and release it. Now, a lot of people don't realize this. A lot of the anti-trapping crowd believes that, well, you know, these animals are caught and they're mutilated and they're broken bones and bloody and everything else. And with modern traps, we're not going to deal with that issue. We're going to be able to release those animals unharmed. So we check our traps off and the animal's not in the trap for very long. And we can minimize the amount of stress or injury or whatever that's going to take place. And then the second thing and the, the big thing that, that I see is using modern traps with proper modifications that are going to minimize the damage or injury to any animal that is caught in them that's not a target. Um, and this really is, is something that even if you're not catching non-target species, I think we all, as trappers, we're all humans, and we want to minimize any potential pain or injury to an animal that we catch. And so these are really just good practices, good traps to use 
in order to do that. And it helps. I've caught dogs in my coyote traps, released, no injury whatsoever, no sign of it. They limp around for a minute and then they're good. And so, and some of them don't even limp at all. And so, so we can, we can really avoid a lot of problems by having good traps with good modifications. So what are those modifications? And I think I'm going to, uh, I might, I might step, um, over to the other shed here and grab a trap for the people that are on YouTube. So I can give you guys just a quick overview and kind of show a visual of, uh, types of modifications to avoid, uh, any injury or damage to non targets. Okay. Let's see. I'm going to check, catch up on the YouTube chat too. Um, Trapping Spot says, always carry your release pole. Yes, for sure, that that will help. Uh, Seth Prince, hey, what's up, Seth? How's it going? Hey, Mountain Mariner off-grid. Hello from Alaska. Good to see you here as well. Okay, so um, what I have here in my hand is uh, an MB550 trap. This is probably the most popular coyote trap that's uh, used in America today, although there are a number of different coyote traps that, uh, are very similar to this but a couple I just want to go over a couple of the modifications to the strap that will help with non-targets like particularly with dogs so um, you notice that uh, the trap the the jaws are are relatively low and uh, the, the height of the jaws is going to determine to some extent where on the pad the animal is caught these are going to catch pretty low on the pad, um, and so, you know, you, a lot of the anti-trapping crowd believes that these traps are catching animals way up high on the leg. They call them leg hole traps, and they say they're going to break bones and stuff. They're they're catching them right on the foot pad, where the animal uh, has a very uh, rough, rugged pad that's been walking on frozen ground and ice and water and rocks and dirt all the time these these are tough tough foot pads um, so they, they really don't even feel this trap jaw the other thing with these traps is when we're looking from the top at the jaws we see a slot in the jaw that's called offset that's an offset jaw and what that is is uh, it allows extra space in the jaws between the two jaws so they're not touching and when the animal is caught, that opening allows for additional circulation to the paw. And so the animal is not going to have issues with lack of circulation that's going to cause any damage to the fingers, the extremities, the toes, whatever. Um, the other thing with this is we have the, the jaw is cast. And what that means is instead of being stamped steel, this is cast steel. And the cast allows these edges to be all smooth over and rounded as opposed to being sharp and so you're not going to have breaks in the skin or abrasions that's going to cause cuts or blood or potential for infection or anything so um, that is a good feature and then finally um, we have there's a modification that we call the jaw lamination or jaw laminated jaws and what laminated jaws are is basically just the width of the jaw uh, where it's contact the animal's foot and the wider the jaw uh, that creates a smaller amount of surface area that's going to be contacting the foot during the catch 
and as a result you're going to have less pressure less pressure per square inch that's put on the animal's foot while it's holding it there so uh, these are all modifications that are designed to minimize damage to an animal's foot the other thing you have is this trap is center swiveled and so there is the trap is mounted on the center of the base plate the 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 chain the anchor chain is mounted in the center of the base plate there's a swivel right there there's also a swivel on mine in the middle of the chain and a swivel on the end of the chain so when the animal is pulling against the anchor it's going to um, pull directly in line with where it's caught on the jaws and so if the trap was anchored on the on the end of the base plate the animal would kind of cause a leverage kind of jerking action where it's going to cause maybe a little bit more potential damage to its foot the center center mounting um, is going to avoid that and the extra swiveling is going to make sure that the animal is not going to be able to get its uh, the trap kind of bound up the chain bound up to where it's not swiveling and then when it stops swiveling maybe they can kind of turn their paw inside the trap and and maybe cause a skin to break or something so all those modifications are basically going to promote the idea that we're we know we're going to catch a dog a domestic dog potentially in a coyote trap or a fox trap but when we make that catch the animal is going to be able to be released unharmed and and so you know as trappers we can say yeah we do catch non-target animals occasionally catch a dog we catch a canada lynx we catch a bobcat out of season we can release those animals unharmed and that's um earlier on uh I think it was a, one of the guys on the chat uh, trapping spots said carry release ball. That's where you know you could very easily release those animals with a simple catch pole. So that's the discussion of non-target animals. Um, I, basically, we know non-targets are a big topic today in the anti-trapping community and in their kind of this non-target propaganda is spread around by anti-trappers and the public doesn't really know a lot about it so as trappers if we can kind of share that information with folks that hey non number of non-target animals is very minimal and when we do catch non-targets we're doing everything we can to avoid non-targets and when we do catch them the traps that we're setting where we could catch them, they're going to minimize damage and allow us to release those animals. Uh, Seth Prince, yeah, bobcat during early fox and coyote is fun. Yeah, I'm not doing early fox and coyote this year, Seth, but um, I've had to release Fisher and Martin. Fisher are Fisher are pretty interesting to release during early uh, fox and coyote season. Um, but bob, yeah, bobcat. Yeah, they could they could put up a fight. It could be interesting, but Pat Connolly, educate hound hunter and bird hunters. Hey Pat, what's up? On how to get out of traps. Uh, two large zip ties will free a pet from a conibear. Pair of cable cutters will help with snares. That's a good idea, Pat. So one of the things that I did talk about during that interview was uh, it's it's very very simple if somebody knows how to do it to release your dog from a trap very simple two levers push them down but most people that are walking their dogs in suburbia just don't know that 
So that is a challenge. Uh, Trapping Spots has done a couple of dog release clinics. Yeah, that that helps a lot. Um, A lot of people who are in urban or suburban areas have been doing those. Trappers have been doing those. And that not only does that help um, non-trappers better understand how to release their dogs, it also helps them see that, you know, you're a trapper and kind of helps develop a little bit of a uh, dialogue between trappers and non-trappers and maybe they don't all think of you as an evil bloodthirsty killer anymore so that's good yeah that's 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 a big thing though trying to teach people how to avoid that i think most hound hunters are pretty well aware uh, most of them have had dogs get caught in traps before and they know how to release them and it's pretty standard uh, th- with snares that becomes a little bit more of a touchy subject with hound hunters and it just depends on how your snares are designed and uh and they a lot of them don't like snares very much but i think they're i think trappers and you know snaring and hound hunting can co-occur if things are done right mount mary finally get a coyote on trail cam after almost 10 years yeah up in alaska Snowshoe hare populations exploded this year. Much food available for predators this winter. Vermont quail, hello. Hey, what's up, Vermont quail? Good to see you. Okay, anybody else on the chat? We're going to move into part two of this podcast episode. And that is just some beginner advice and questions from listeners. So if you guys have a question, feel free to email me, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. And I may or may not get back to you right away, but I do read all my emails. And uh, I try to respond to many of them uh, in podcast episodes. So Jacob from the Southern Adirondacks asked... uh, had a few different questions, and this is common. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these emails have very multiple, multiple questions in them. So I'm trying to break it down a little bit. Uh, hey Pat, what are you up to lately? Anyway, I haven't heard from you at all. Are you trapping right now? Um, so Jacob says he asked about starter tools to invest in when you get started trapping. He's a relatively new trapper. He asked for some easy bobcat sets and some easy beaver sets. So we'll start with starter tools. And this was a this one kind of uh, stumped me for a minute because I don't really th- think of I can't think of a lot of tools that you really need when you get started trapping. You need your traps. You need a good mode of transportation, and that's pretty much about it. I mean, you know, trapping is the good thing about trapping is it's pretty simple. Um, the hardest to me, the hardest part was never getting going trapping was never tools it was finding ground and it was finding animal sign uh, figuring out where the animals were to set traps and then just buying enough traps to set them out but when I think of what I might want to have for tools to invest in trapping there's only a few that really come to mind number one is a good pair of body grip trap setters if you're doing any body grip trapping Having a good pair of setters makes a huge difference. So either the uh, self-locking setters, the auto-locking setters uh, that you can get, they're going to be a little more expensive, but they're going to lock and make it a lot easier for you. Um, and Or the RTS trap setter. The RTS 
has quickly become my favorite um, in in trap setting body grips. That's uh, that's the one that looks like a cocking gun, and you just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze to, to compress the springs. It's really sweet. Um, the other thing that I would invest in is not a tool; it's just knowledge and experience. So, getting on watching YouTube videos, uh, watching trapping DVDs or videos that are out there talking to trappers, reading up online on different uh, reading trapping books, and uh, just talking to locals that have a lot of experience. Just knowledge and experience is really a big thing when you're you're new and getting started. I think that'll bring you a lot further than uh, any tool that you could buy. Uh, Pat says, trucks are dollar me to death. Well, yeah. So nuisance beaver going. Hopefully get out to some fur harvesting. Um, hey, crusty one. See you later. Good to see you. So, easy bobcat sets. So, to me, there are two, and I'm going to go through this really quickly. So, uh, you know, if, if you want detail, maybe you're going to want to watch some videos on this or, or get into it a little more uh, with some, some reading or whatever. But just briefly, there are two easy bobcat sets that I can think of. Number one is going to be the cubby set. So basically, you get into an area where you got bobcat sign, you build a cubby. Uh, that cubby is going to do, it's going to be a place that you're going to hold the bait in, and you're going to keep the animal from getting to the bait from any direction except for one, which is going to be right in front of the entrance of the cubby. Where the entrance of the cubby is, that's where you're going to set your trap. A lot of times you get to set that trap, so it's kind of under a little bit of overhanging cover so that uh, you can avoid the snow and ice and rain from getting to it. But a, a cubby is going to be pretty something you can make pretty simply. Uh, you can make it. You can make a rock cubby. You can make it out of sticks, wood, logs, whatever. You can bait that if it's legal in your state. You can bait that ahead of the season. You can get animals um, accustomed to going to the cubby and taking your bait. You can set a game camera on that cubby. Um, you can watch it. You can watch how the animal approaches the cubby, where it's stepping. Um, Trap placement at the at the cubby entrance is pretty critical in a lot of cases, um, and you can use that information to kind of determine how to set your trap and where to set your trap. So the cubby set's pretty simple. The second set is going to be a little bit more complicated, um, and that's going to be your um, walkthrough set. So the walkthrough set is a really popular bobcat catcher. You're, what you're going to do is you're going to look for an area where a bobcat's travel, natural travel way is being restricted. So that could be um, a break in terrain where you have maybe kind of, uh, oh, you have a really steep drop down the side of a hill and then you have a gentle slope and then another drop. So you might have a road that's cut into a side of a hill. You might have, uh, if you're out west, you have rimrock country. So you have like steep rimrock vertical cliffs. And then where the cliff drops off, you have a flat um, bottom for, you know, a certain distance. And then it drops off again. Those rimrocks in those areas between the breaks are going to be great um, funnels for bobcat travel. Um, again, it can be a road. It can be, um, I'm thinking like up here in the northeast. Uh, just places like the base of a rock slide or something. There are going to be areas that you, you could see bobcats are traveling. Their travel has narrowed up. And where you're going to use in a walkthrough set, 
you're, you're going to use some sort of visual attractor and you're going to use uh, potentially some lure. You don't necessarily need to use lure. I would use a visual attractor combined with lure and I probably wouldn't use any bait at a walkthrough set. And you're going to look at where the animal is naturally going to walk when it comes up to your tractor. Bobcats are highly attracted to visuals. And you're going to use the surroundings and you're going to use objects that are there at the set location in order to narrow that animal's travel way down to where it's only going to step into a few places. And then you're going to set your trap and you're going to use sticks or rocks to guide an animal's foot placement into your trap. There are a lot of different theories about this. There are very, very good accomplished trappers who have different opinions on how much blocking and how much guiding you're going to use at a walkthrough set. Um, some trappers will set so many different sticks, rocks, whatever, that a bobcat has no choice but to step his foot right on the pin of the trap. Other trappers are um, concerned that too much blocking is going to make a certain cats just look at that and say, I'm not going to do that, and they just walk around it. And so other trappers might use a lot less blocking and make more of a subtle set. Um, I think everybody's in agreement that bobcats are not trap shy, so you don't have to worry about covering your trap. You can if you want to, if it makes you feel more comfortable, but you can pretty much have just an open bear trap there. Um, but that's that's going to be your walkthrough set. So your cubby set and your walkthrough set. Um, Pat Connolly says beaver dams. Absolutely, 100%. Your bobcats are walking across beaver dams all the time. If you're in a state, certain states do not allow you to set on an active beaver dam. Certain states, Maine used to never let you set on an active or abandoned beaver dam at all. Now that is relaxed a little bit. Um, so in certain cases you can set on active beaver dams. I think statewide you can now set on a beaver abandoned beaver dams. But check your local regulations. But if you're in an area with a lot of beavers, bobcats will walk across any beaver dam that's in your area. It's just, it, it's no brainer. Cats are going to walk across it. So you, if you can legally do that, that's a great place where you're going to narrow down a cat's line of travel. Um, speaking of beaver dams, beaver houses, beaver flowages, if you're going to be, if you're on uh, frozen on the ice, trapping in, in the middle of winter, um, bobcats, coyotes, fox are always going to investigate beaver lodges. Uh, I don't know what it is about them. Of course, everything's attracted to beavers, but they are going to, if you see a fox or coyote or bobcat track that is along a frozen flowage, they're going to beeline it right to any beaver lodge that's in their line near their line of travel, and then they're going to go back. But they're always going to investigate those. Uh, Mount Marrow, do you have a preference on trap orientation in the cubby? Uh, that's a good question, Mountain Mariner. I'm not exactly sure how the best way to answer that. Um, orientation of the trap. Uh, typically, your it it, it just depends. If you're gonna okay, so I I should I should back up a little bit. So trap distance from a bait varies considerably, and 
it's not necessarily this is more of an art than a science it's very hard to put a number on okay some people set their traps six inches back from their bait or lure some people set 18 inches foot and a half back from their bait or lure some people set three feet back that's a little extreme in my opinion but um that all depends on so many different factors that I can't even begin to get into and some of them that I don't even understand fully myself. Um, so so distance is going to be very dependent on the situation. Now, orientation in terms of whether the jaws are uh, perpendicular or parallel to the line of travel Typically, you're going to want the jaws to be parallel to the line of travel. Uh, and the reason for that is if an animal is stepping over towards your bait, if the jaws are perpendicular to the line of travel, there's a better chance that they are going to step on the jaw instead of stepping on your pan. And if they do that, they may step on the jaw and the next step is beyond the trap and then you just get a miss and you don't catch it. Um, if you have good blocking or guiding, that may not matter. If you have a, you know, maybe you have a, just a little rock right in front of the, your first jaw and then the animal's going to step over that rock and step right onto the pan, you might be okay. But from, from all the people that I've talked to, uh, most of the people, the orientation of the jaws parallel gives you a better chance when that animal steps is not stepping on the jaw. It may step on a lever. Um, so again, there's, there's, you have a problem there too if that's the case. Um, but likely if it steps, it just depends. Sometimes it also depends on um, the shape of your trap. The, the Some of the traps like your number three victors and dukes are going to be really oblong and shaped, you know, like really egg shaped. Some of your traps, like your, um, say your older number twos, are going to be more oblong the opposite way. So, great answer is it depends. It's an easy answer for everything. But for the most part, I would set parallel to the jaws. Uh, my mentor that caught, taught me how to trap coyotes, actually, he, he had a theory that he didn't set perpendicular. He didn't set parallel. He set halfway in between. And I do find myself still setting that way when I say make dirt hole sets for coyotes, which is kind of funny. Um, and, and I'm not really sure why why that is. Um, the other reason not to set with your jaws perpendicular to, uh, to the line of travel is the animal could step on the dog of the trap if you have traps with dogs, like the MB550 that I showed earlier. If you have dogless traps, that's not as much of a problem. Okay, Justin Shoop, first year trapper, listener to your live YouTube, little late. Hey, Justin, what is up? Good to see you from New Mexico. Good deal, man. Awesome. I feel like I've emailed with a Justin from New Mexico before, but it wasn't a first year trapper. Mount Mariner, will the trap snap shut parallel to the body? Okay, yeah, so we figured that out, Mount Mariner. Right on. So that was uh, easy bobcat sets. Uh, easy, easy beaver sets. So I'll give... I'll give two of them. One of them may not be that as easy. Well, it might be. The easiest beaver set is just a blind set and a run. So you're going to put a 330 body grip trap in a beaver run. The hardest part about that is just finding the run. Finding where the beaver is traveling regularly. If you're good at scouting, if you spend some time looking um, and 
and learning what the run's supposed to look like. In open water, it's pretty much a no-brainer. But in under ice, it's a lot more difficult. It can be more difficult. But you're going to find that area that the beaver has been traveling regularly. The bottom of the, the, um, the, the beaver dam is going to, you know, the, the substrate on the bottom is going to be deeper. That area in the mud is going to be hollowed out because the animals are traveling through there more often. That's going to be your run. You're going to, you're usually going to see that pretty easily. You're going to see where that run ends and the beaver climbs up onto land and goes up and to look to gather vegetation or to travel over a road, across a road or whatever. So you're going to see those runs. You just set a trap in the run. Um, the easiest way to do that is set at the entrance to a house. If you're in a, uh, if you have a bank beaver situation where you're in a river and there's only one entrance from that house, it's so easy. It's, you can't even, I mean, you're going to get every beaver that's in that lodge if you want to because there's only one way out. If you're in a situation where the beaver's in a pond and it, the house is out in the middle of the pond, there could be three, four, five entrances. There's usually two, oftentimes three, made two main entrances usually. But if you set really hard right at those entrances, beaver can cut out new entrances around those locations if they become trap shy. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, but a blind set in a run is the easiest way to trap beaver. Um, the other easy beaver set, I want to say, I don't want to say too easy, but a, a caster mound is a pretty easy set. And it could be very easy if you have an area where you make a caster mound up on shore where there's a place where a beaver has been coming up on shore already, um, you can set a 330 body grip in the water before the animal surfaces. Uh, you could pretty easily set that where the 330 is completely submerged in about 12 inches of water. Um, put a little dive stick over the top of that 330. Beaver's going to smell the caster. It's going to come up toward shore. It's going to go up that area. Uh, it's going to dive under the dive stick, get caught in your trap. Simple set for beaver. Uh, you could do that with footholds, but I don't want to say it's easy because it's a little more complex in terms of where you're going to set your foothold trap, how deep, what orientation, where, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. So it's not, I wouldn't call it easy. Justin got 200 double long springs from the local trapper that's retiring. Going to try those oldies out this year, develop some skill. Any downsides to double long springs other than digging a bigger hole? So Double long spring traps bed really easy, and they don't freeze in that bed. The, the bottom of the spring freezes in, but um, the tops do not. And so, and the jaws stay elevated a little bit above the ground, so they are really good for freeze and thaw conditions. Uh, the double long spring, if you're setting for fox and coyote, I would, Justin, highly recommend that you, you're probably going to have the chain is going to be mounted on the end of the one of the springs. That was the old school method of, of those. And I would highly recommend that you cut that off and you mount the chain to the center of the base plate instead of the end of the spring. That's going to be much better for animal welfare and that is going to uh, reduce your chances of losing animals. Um, you might do a little jaw modification on those, but really the, yeah, the, the big... Uh, I guess two, two downsides to the double long springs. Number one is you're going to have to dig a much bigger trap bed, which is a pain. Uh, 
number two is the the speed on those straps is going to be a lot slower. So I don't know, maybe you want to avoid adding too much bedding over top of those traps. If you add a half inch of dirt, heavy dirt over top of them, that trap's going to fire really slow. And uh, you may have issues with animals kind of either toe catches or just missing animals. So that that's something to think about with those double long springs. Pat, main entrance usually under the feed pile. That's right, Pat. Usually they have a main entrance either under the feed pile or right to the edge of the feed pile. And then they're going to have like a back entrance that's kind of maybe their escape an escape route. Um, and a lot of times you could set, if you're setting runs and you can't, you know, if the main entrance goes right under the feed pile and you don't have a spot to set, you can set the edge of the feed pile because those beaver are going to circle the feed pile. Seth Prince using leg holds on footholds on drowning cables with center blocks. Look out, toss them puppies in. Yeah, for sure. Um, fence staples, Justin. Fence staples on every jaw. No, Justin, I don't. No use. No use for those. Jeez, fence staples. Wow. No, no, I wouldn't use those. <laughs> wow, that guy must have been an old, old, old school trapper. Okay, um, Aaron from Wisconsin was another guy that emailed. Uh, pretty cool that Aaron caught his first coyote on Trapping Today Predator Lure. So, folks that haven't got your lure yet, uh, trappingtodaystore.com. We get all kinds of different lures there. And thanks for people that are sending in pictures of your catches. So, uh, the Predator Lure is a really effective lure. And I think people should, this time of year, you shouldn't be using Predator Plus. You should be using Predator. Um, you don't need that skunk essence this early in the year. So Aaron has, has done well with that. Um, he asked about different types of sets. And I, I can't, that was just way too broad for me to answer. So Aaron, I, I don't know, maybe narrow it down later on. Send me another message about that. Um, he, but I think he was just lo looking at uh, maybe more information on sets he hasn't heard of before. So maybe we'll do that in a future episode, just talk about like different set types. Uh, he asked about remakes. Um, so there's a, a couple of different uh, ideas to think about in terms of remakes. So if you make a catch in a particular area, um, a lot of people would initially think, okay, you made a catch there. And, well, I'm just going to pull that trap out because that's, that's that spot's burned up. Well, I wouldn't necessarily think that way. So I, I would be cautious because you're missing out on a pretty good opportunity. Um, when an animal has been caught in a set, that animal has left a lot of sign there and it's going to attract a lot of other animals, uh, foxes and coyotes. Remakes are pretty good. You know, where you made a catch is a pretty good hotspot. And you can make two, three catches after you've made that initial catch um, pretty easily if, if you're sitting there for very long and if you've got a lot of animals around. So I, I, would, I would not hesitate to remake sets. Uh, traps, this is again where people vary in opinion considerably. If you've got a trap that's been run around all over a set, a catch circle, and the animal has kind of tore the whole area up. Um, and you've got a trap that's been exposed to animal sign and everything. That trap's going to have a lot of scent on it. Some guys, the old Craig O'Gorman, 
method. He just takes the trap, rubs some dirt on it, resets it right there in the same spot. Other people pull the trap and put a brand new trap there. There's nothing wrong with putting a new trap there. Um, if the trap does have enough scent on it, there is potential for that animal to smell that trap and to maybe dig it up, get curious and kind of dig in your, your trap bed. But I tend to think that in most cases, there is so much scent left around the catch circle that the trap is the least of that animal's, that newly arriving animal's concern. And so I would say that I, I would be more in the camp of just rub a little dirt on it and reset that trap. Now, the question is, you know, with a remake, do you remake the same exact set that you initially set? Um, hope that makes sense, um, <laughs> putting it that way. So if you made a flat set, you had a rock there with some coyote pee and a little bit of lure at the smeared at the base of the rock and you had a trap maybe six inches from the edge of the rock and a coyote walked over to pee on it and it got set caught in your trap and then it ran around for a couple a few hours in the middle of the night and it peed all over the place and it pooped and made a bunch of sign do you want to remake that as a flat set and in general i would say probably not uh what i would what i would tend to do is when I make the remake, I'm probably going to turn that into a dirt hole set. Because uh, the if you're trying to remake a flat set where an animal has just been caught, if the set is real tore up and there's sign all over the place, it's going to be hard to focus that animal's attention on one particular spot. Now, it, it could be. I've, set, I've remade many flat sets before with the same exact set I started with um, and it's worked and I've caught animals in those remakes so it, it, it does work and especially if you have a real good visual attractant if you have a specific like a, a, a nice good size rock or something that that animal is going to be keyed in on you're probably going to be okay it's probably going to be fine with the ground all tore up around it it's going to be, a little, it might be a little harder for you to blend in your set. I've, I've had that issue as well. Um, might be a little easier in some cases too. But those are just some things to think about when you're remaking sets. Uh, I would say in general, don't worry too much about having to, uh, to avoid that, re, that catch circle when you're remaking. Um, but, you know, just think about that. Think about what that, all that sign that's left there is actually doing to your particular set. One really cool method that you could use is you could pull your trap out of that catch circle and you could remake a set right on the outer edge of the catch circle. And what that does is your catch area is going to attract those animals and they're going to be you know, attracted from a pretty long distance. They're going to smell that urine, the droppings, the gland scent, they're going to see and smell all the tore up dirt and gravel, whatever it is, vegetation around that, where that animal is caught. They're going to come and investigate that. But because that's just like an explosion of sensory overload for that animal, maybe if you have a trap, a, a new set right on the edge of that, they're going to be a little bit, they're going to kind of circle that 
catch area, they're going to run right into your new set and get caught there. So that's something to think about for remakes. And then finally, uh, Aaron asked about advice for trapping other states, getting new experiences, meeting people. He, he kind of wanted to, it's a really broad question, hard to narrow down, but just looking for how do you make connections? How do you learn about trapping in other states? Um, you know, he said, like, clearly, you know, you have a podcast, so you got to go up to Alaska and all that. And, and this is true. You know, when you have a platform, it does help to make connections and, and in terms of finding places to trap, whatever. But I would say that in general, you're just going to have to work your way into that. No matter who you are, um, just getting started or you've been around for a long time, you kind of have to, you have to force those, kind of force those connections, I guess. So from what I know about people who have experienced trapping out of state, number one, you could pay somebody. Yes, you can do a guide service. There's guys up here a few guys in Maine that do it. I, you know, I, ideally I would do it because I make a lot of connections here and I get my guides license and take people out on the trap line. And I know a lot of people would be willing to pay for those experiences. It's just not for me. It's something I don't really have an interest in doing and I don't really have the time to do it. So I haven't done it, but there's other people that do that. So that's one way you can pay somebody to go on their trap line and, and go through that. But in a lot of cases, if you go out of state, if a lot of cases, you just kind of have to learn it on your own. You have to go and do the research on going out of state. You have to learn the laws and regulations. You got to find a place to trap out of state. You have to just get out there and try it. And when you're out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to run into and meet people that are trapping in that area and those people might become some of the best friends that you'll ever make. And you're going to have trapping connections that you're going to build and develop over time. You can't just start out from nothing and say, okay, what do I do to get all these connections? It just doesn't work that way. Um, you Maybe you go to a convention, maybe you meet somebody, maybe you become friends with them and that works. Or maybe you just go out there and start trapping and you run into people, you run into landowners, you meet people through other people. You meet people through your state association and so on. But you kind of just have to build into that and work your way into that. And that's that's the only advice I can give there. All right. So finally, real life says unorganized territory. You don't need written permission. Organized towns. Okay. So that's uh, real life is asking a main specific question. And uh, throw you guys got like 30 seconds or a minute to throw your questions in if you have any more because I'm going to sign off here on the live but uh yeah real life that is correct um in in maine you do not need permit written permission to trap in unorganized towns you do need it in organized towns kenneth yes we have a limit on fisher it's 25 we used to have no limit on fisher at all and good to see you kenneth cotras by the way um we used to have no limit on fisher then somebody got their panties in a bunch decided we didn't have enough fisher which wasn't true uh, we had then they implemented a 10 fisher limit with no zero data to support that and 
then the Fisher limit was 10 Fisher for like 15 years, and then it was finally relaxed to 25. Um, but yeah, um, we got lots of Fisher in Maine, tons and tons of Fisher. Um, Pat Connolly, what are you targeting this year? Oh, Pat, thank you for the question. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Pat, I'm not trapping very hard this year. And in my personal life, a lot of things are happening where I've just found it very difficult to get super excited about trapping. So I wasn't one of those guys that was out there at midnight getting my sets out and everything. Um, I actually, today I went out with my kids and we set some traps near the house. We set some, we set a beaver trap, a fisher trap, and uh, a few muskrat traps just to kind of get it out of our systems and be able to have some traps to check. But I'm going to trap Fisher and Martin. That's going to be my focus. And the, the season's been open for a week, and I haven't set a trap for those species. Um, the, the fur prices are not great. The gas prices are high. I'm like you, Pat. I have a truck that's kind of falling apart, and I can't really afford to bang on it too hard. I got $500 in the checking account right now. Got a lot of expenses related to the farm and family and living expenses. So it's been very difficult. I, I spend, with our check laws, I have to be out there twice a week. And I spend about $80 on gas plus wear and tear in the vehicle every time I check traps. And so I am going to trap for Martin Fisher, but I'm going to wait till December to start. Maybe Thanksgiving, end of November, early December. And uh, I've had a hard time getting excited about it, to be honest with you, um, for some reason this year. But I'm getting there. I'm, I'm starting to... I'm starting to get a little bit excited and it's trapping is like a disease. It's contagious and it starts small and you kind of build on it. Um, super depressed today because it's daylight savings time clock change day. And that's the worst day of the year. In my opinion, I hate it. Absolutely hate, hate the clock time change. Um, it's criminal. I think it, it, uh, should, the law should be changed. Um, but, it's going to be dark at four o'clock <laughs> and that's kind of depressing. Um, but it is, you know, it, it is getting to where I'm get, starting to think more about trapping. It's getting colder, uh, tons and tons of work to do on the farm. I've, I've taken on a lot more this year and it's been a lot more time consuming. It's actually been quite enjoyable though. Um, but I am starting to think more about Martin Fisher trapping. Uh, I'm, I have had a hard time getting excited about filming. Um, there is, there is a very rewarding aspect to filming the trap line and to interacting with you guys and to have those videos up there and have 10 to 60,000 views on those videos and have a bunch of that. It, it's cool. It's rewarding. It's enjoyable. But it's also kind of mentally like it's like overload to have all that all that stuff going on and to have tons and tons of comments flying in and have people all over the place to interact with. So uh, it's yeah, I, part of me just wants to go trapping by myself and leave you guys out of it, to be honest. I hate to say that, but that's that's just um, the selfish part of me. Um, but part of me probably wants me to film it and uh I probably will film some trapping as well. 
Justin, get any product for sale? Yes, Justin, trappingtodaystore.com. We have books, trapping lure shirts, a few of these hats left. So yeah, lots of stuff. Go to trappingtodaystore.com. I can probably punch in a link in the chat. Let's see if that's going to work. No, I think you can click on that. Rusty, do you do ADC agent work? No, Rusty, I do not. Mountain Mariner, Sunset 439. Yeah, sucks on Mountain. That's actually, um, I think we're going to be darker sooner than you. Uh, Rusty, ADC, like everybody that I, like half the people that have trapped for more than five years here have ADC licenses, and they're willing to trap beavers for ADC for really low prices, that like lower than their cost of doing business. I live in a very rural area, and so there are, there's not as much demand. There's not as many people willing to pay. The big landowners hire like full-time ADC trappers seasonally, and so they, they've got that covered. And uh, the small landowners just aren't willing to pay uh, the money that I would need to get. And uh, there's some guys that will go out there and they'll do it really cheap. I do damage control uh, for when I'm recreational trapping, if somebody runs into me, stops by, calls me, and asks about removing, it's mostly beaver, asks about a beaver problem, a lot of times, if I'm beaver trapping, I'll go over and take care of it. Part of it is just to help them out. Part of it is because, you know, I, I don't mind catching a few beavers. But uh, generally, I, I don't. I don't do that. I'm not a licensed ADC agent. I don't do it for pay. Um, but um, advice, I I can't give you too much advice about the business side of it because I don't live in an area where where uh, where, where that is common. Um, advice for problem animals, that'd be a, something we could get into in the future. If you got specific questions, maybe we can talk about um, damage causing animals and, and damage, you know, beaver damage situations, um, maybe coyote damage, fox, whatever. Um, those are those would be specifics that if you had some questions, just get a, give me a little de more detailed question. We could chat about it. Be, that'd be a lot of fun. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in both on the YouTube live and on the podcast. It's great to, uh, it's great to catch up with you. And I hope everybody's out there set some traps. And I hope that I can get myself out there and doing a little more trapping here pretty soon. But uh, till next time, guys, keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. Let's get a little more excited about trapping. Send me some emails, order from the store, um, and uh, we're getting into the season here. I think it's going to be good. It's going to get colder. We're going to get a little snow. Probably get a few big snowstorms here that are going to make things interesting on the trap line up here in northern Maine. Um, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks again. It's always great to have you here. Take care.